0: Welcome to the Death Keep Show. Let's go. Hey, yo. Hey. Oh, oh, oh. Here he comes. Y'all ready? I don't think y'all ready. Huh? 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 Jeff Key coming at you. The over-circumcide truth. Travel the world, tell the jokes, eating eggs with no fucking yolks. Low cow, so cow. He pulls out the knife and he strips your gal. This is his podcast. Maybe this one will last. Probably not. The one that he's got, he's only had minor success. That's why he brought N D to the M to the X. He's finally about to blow. Welcome to the Jeff Key Show. dude i already have intro music and stuff for my pod i don't know if you've heard it but it's dmx uh it's me as dmx
1: (laughs) yeah dude which is one of my favorite uh dmx is like one of my favorite impressions that anyone can do
0: have you heard the intro to
1: this podcast no but I, Uh, i i'm imagining it right now yeah dude i found
0: some um copyright free hard rap uh beat and then i just you know i didn't have any dmx is not my real friend so i as dmx gmx you know what i mean i came yeah yeah
1: i kind of like gmx more than dmx (laughs) um can you give me some of your dmx right now not really
0: really? dude i need to put the headphones on i need to close my eyes and really believe that i'm sounding somewhat like dmx
1: (laughs) yeah he's uh have you ever met dmx
0: no i have a couple people that told me stories about talking to him in like random bathrooms in arizona and stuff though
1: yeah, he kind of talks like he sounds. Like, it's not a stretch.
0: Yeah, I saw him a long time ago when he first got famous, I saw him on, he uh, was like Jimmy Kimmel. And he's like, yeah, he's like, so you're like a big rapper now, you know, whatever. And he's like, what, what guy into rapping and He said something like, oh, I saw these other guys and they were doing it. And I'm like, I'm better than them. Yeah. <laughs> he talks
1: like, in that cadence. He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm on Jeff G's podcast. Like, doing <laughs> it up. It's a, it's a, you know, I spoke to him briefly. And um, he uh, he asked me where the bathroom was.
0: Another bathroom and, Dmx story. See everybody I know who knows him or met him, it's always about a bathroom.
1: Yeah, he spends a lot of time in the bathroom. But he was like, <laughs> he was like, man, you know which way the bathroom is." He's like, "Is this a private bathroom?" <laughs> he asked me if if this one bathroom was a private bathroom, which it was. And uh, and I was like, "Yeah, man." And then I said to him, I go, DMX, I go, dude, if there's one guy to be able to be, you know, use this private bathroom, I'd, I'd imagine, you know, you're, you know, you you're, you're the guy. So, <laughs> so he, 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 it. that's my VIP bathroom DMX story.
0: <laughs> um, look, man, we could just start. I'll probably just leave that in. Who cares? just my pod coming straight from the Lakewood studios. Yeah, dude. <laughs> um, look, I want to talk to you about a lot of stuff. Obviously you said you're down to talk about how you dated Stormy Daniels who had sex with the president for money yeah. and you said it was around that time too like we'll talk about it later but you said it was you were dating her during that time so she cheated yeah, on my yeah. friend Pete with fucking the apprentice Donald Trump
1: Yeah she stepped out on Pete with the uh with with uh, DJT <laughs> All right so we'll get to that
0: first though I want to talk cuz I never knew this or I never knew this, I, I don't know this about you because we're buddies, you're at this point, I mean, come on, maybe my last friend in Hollywood? <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I would... <laughs> dude, that's how, that's how it is, man. That's how it is. I'm happy, dude, I'm happy to still be... Friends with you, you know what I mean? Like I'm just happy that, you know, that uh that, that, that we are still friends because it is hard to even maintain friends in, in Hollywood.
0: And also let's be honest, dude, once guys start working cruise ships, they kinda become a little bit too big to have friends in Hollywood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> once you get a slice of that cruise ship pie, man, it's <laughs> tough.
0: I'm like, wait a second, you're a land comedian? <laughs> That's weak, dude. <laughs> Try performing when the boat's rocking. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> um, but I don't know how you got started in comedy. I want to talk about how you were the host of Beecher's Madhouse and how you got into that and all that stuff, because you have a lot of interesting stories about basically smoking weed with a lot of different really yeah, famous people. Yeah, I mean,
1: I started, so I, I went to college in Washington, D.C., and I graduated uh graduated college and I moved right up to New York City. So I I grew up like an hour south of the city. So I was always up in New York and whatever. And I uh, I graduated college and it was like, you know, it was that summer I had told my dad, who was a judge, he's a criminal court judge, and I'm out on the beach with him and I'm about to tell him that I'm gonna to move to New York City and wait tables so I can go to acting school and do some stand up. Whoa! So, That's probably I, one of the best days of his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, what what was really funny was though, I I kind of like just said to him, I was like, Dad, look, you know, I, I think I'm gonna you know go up there and you know uh, I'm gonna you know wait tables and and uh, go to acting school and and uh, and all that stuff and and I think I want to start doing some stand up, and he was reading a newspaper and he kind of like, you know, kind of brought the paper down, you know, he's sitting on the beach, he's all lounged out, he's, my dad's a beach bum, and he pulled the paper down and looked at me and he was like, son, he's like, I wish I could have done that, you know? Wow. Yeah, and I said, I said, really? He said, yeah, you know, because my dad's father was a, uh, an immigrant from Italy, he was a shoemaker, and he, you know, they did not have a lot of money growing up, and so my dad really worked for everything that he, that he, you know, accomplished. So he had went to Columbia undergrad and, and, and Columbia Law School and became a judge and all that stuff. But he did that all through getting, you know, academic scholarships and so on. So yeah. he was, my dad was a hustler working so many jobs in college and this and that. So he almost found a little bit of a smile in the idea of me being able to do that. Me being able to graduate college without any debts because he had helped me out, you know what I mean like he, he they essentially paid for my college, yeah, you know yeah. so so I you know that was i I was able to be like, hey i'm gonna I'm gonna go away tables and dick around in new york city and and see how that goes for a little bit um so you know it's you know, so interesting
0: that I want to hear more about this, obviously, but my grandpa. Uh, he grew up like real poor. His dad was a uh, um actually worked for Al Capone. His dad was a real piece of shit. He's a gangster, and uh and when I started doing stand up, my grandpa was always a really funny guy. Like dedicated his life like to charity and stuff when he was older. Learned magic in his seventies just so he could do it for free for kids and uh all like all these different things. Anyways, it's like my hero. But I could tell he was really excited when I started doing stand up. And he used to make those little, like, on the computer, you know, those, like, old crappy graphics where you just choose, like, a template. And oh, yeah. He would make me my own birthday cards for my birthday. Like, he'd make them. And it was, like, people standing in line for Jeff Keith's autograph and stuff. Like, when I first started, I always felt like, I don't know, like when when my grandparents had their 70th wedding anniversary, they're like, the city honored him because he used to be the mayor. And, uh, like, he had all these different places honoring him. So I went to all the things that I was in town. And he always made it a point <laughs> I kind of felt a little bad for my brother, but he was always like, that's my grandson, Jeff. He's a comedian. Like, he's a professional comedian. Like, he always, like, told everyone what I did yeah. publicly. So I feel like it was that kind of same thing to sound like your dad had. This is my grandpa.
1: Yeah, he he was really like, you know, he knew, you know, and he had told me from the beginning. He's like, this is, I mean, in so many words, he was kind of like, you know, this is a terrible choice you're making in the sense that money-wise, like, this, you you are stepping into a world where, you are, it's, it's not a, it's, it's not a dependable way to make money, Yeah. but he was, he was so wowed to the idea that I wanted to do this. And he would have friends always telling him like, Oh, you know, yeah, your son, you know, your son makes us laugh. Your son's really funny, whatever, you know? So he got behind it, he got behind it and he was like, all right, you know, do your thing. So I would moved up to New York city. I started waiting tables. Um, I got, I, I got a job at like a rest. I didn't have the thing is when you want to try when you when you try to wait tables in New York City, you need to have like you know four years New York City experience. So I don't know how anyone starts in New York City to wait tables, but I wound up
0: gotta know a guy,
1: right? Exactly, which I did. Like I called. We had a friend of ours who was connected. Uh and he got us a job, uh he got me a job in uh in uh Soho at an old Italian restaurant that was uh that was very popular. So I started waiting tables and I started doing stand-up at stand-up New York. I just sort of showed up. I had like maybe seven minutes of things that I thought were like a like a solid set. But in the beginning, as you, you know, probably remember, um, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Like you think you're, you know. i don't know like for me i I started going to stand up new york started getting up there when is when is
0: this though what year is this this is this
1: is uh 2000 okay this is like i graduated in 99 had that summer and and i started getting up in like 2000
0: can i just say real quick before you get back to stand up you do look like a great waiter at an italian restaurant like hey we got oh, a fucking I, rigatoni that's gonna fucking bust your oh, fucking dude, nuts i'll
1: tell you about the specials you know <laughs> i was like you know sebastian used to be a waiter and you know it was like you know i would imagine that i i you know w- w- we look like grease balls yeah you know? we look like we look like we have an inside track on a special that's not on the menu that yeah. i'm gonna hook you up with you know what i mean
0: yeah, exactly
1: um, but it was great. I, you know, real quick though, I, I get like how I got that, how I got that, uh, that, uh, that job. Cause I, I called my dad. I go, listen, dad, I can't get a, a waitering job. You know, everyone wants three or four years experience. You know, do you think you can call Patsy? And now Patsy was a guy that we knew, um, in, in New York and, uh, and you know, and he, you know, he was in the life a little bit. Um, and I called Patsy or my dad called Patsy and then, uh, my, uh, my dad had called me back like five minutes later, and he goes, listen, Patsy's gonna give you a call. Just, you know, be ready. And so he had called me, and he has like this broken Italian accent. He says, Pete, where you live? And I said, Thompson Street between Spring and Prince, you know, in Soho. And he goes, meet me on the corner, West Broadway, Spring Street, in 20 minutes. And I swear to you, that's right around the corner from where I live. Put, 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 shirt, put shirt on with tie so I, I oh you started sh- in 20 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah dude i literally put a shirt on put a tie on i go to meet patsy he's there on the corner and we walk right to this restaurant called barolo it's not there anymore and it was this big italian restaurant very very popular and uh he walks in and he brings me to the manager this guy richie he says richie's beat he's a friend of the family he needs a job and Richie looks at me and he goes, have you waited tables before? And I lied, you know, of course. And I said, yes. And he says, okay. And then he just looks me up and down. And then uh, Patsy told me to go, go, no, go wait outside. So I waited outside. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, they, and they talked for a little bit, right? So here's, a, here's like and he goes, really Patsy, what funny- the fuck, man? This guy's
0: never waited fucking tables before. I can tell by looking <laughs> yeah, at him. <laughs> so,
1: so like the funny part of this is, Patsy comes out, uh, he, and I didn't realize before, he had, he had a Cadillac that was parked on uh, on, on uh, West Broadway. And he tells me to get in the car. I get in the car. <laughs> this is the most Italian go.
0: story I've ever heard in my life. Dude, dude this is like so
1: <laughs> funny. So I'm literally probably 20 feet from the corner where I just have to make the left to go back to my apartment. He tells me to get in the car and as, and he puts the car in drive and we are rolling at probably like, I don't know, dude. Like, like maybe ten inches a minute. Like it was just so slow. <laughs> and as we're doing this, like, because I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm already home. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. Have to take me anywhere. So as we're just slowly rolling in the car, he tells me, "Pete, you, you uh, I do, I do your favor. I know your father a long time." He says, "You, you, 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 uh, you get to work on time. You do a good job. Uh, don't, don't disappoint me." And I was like, "Okay, Pats, I won't disappoint you." And, uh, it was like the most intimidating way to get a waitering job because now yeah. I was like, I thought I was going to wake up with like a horse's head in my bed or so like, you know, I, I, like if I messed up, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was like, that's how you had to get a job in New York city. So that, so I had that as a I job. Imagine, real I, quick.
0: I imagine you make a lot of money waiting tables in New York city at a, at a nice Italian restaurant like that on Broadway. Yeah,
1: yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a good, it was a good income. You know what I mean? It was, it was a good income, nothing too crazy, but because of the area that we, you know, that we were in, we would have, you know, celebrities and stuff like that, that would come in and, you know, I'd be able to make, you know, we would pull our tips, which was not a popular way to do it back then, but we would pull our tips, but every now and again, you know, it would be, you know, a big star, De Niro, someone like that. And if they like you, they might just kind of, you know, They'll they'll throw some cash your way, kind of under the table, and it's up to you to make sure the uh, you know the Bangladesh back uh, you know bus boys didn't notice that you uh, that you got some extra cash. Right, right. You know what I mean? Isn't that
0: what you would do if you were as rich as people like that? I would constantly be giving people like, here's fifty bucks.
1: Oh, dude, I would be like you know Jimmy Conway and Goodfellas. You know what I mean? <laughs> just constantly just dishing out cash and pockets if yeah. I had
0: make someone's day every day multiple people
1: all the time all the time you know but it was like i'll tell you man it was it was a very it was a very cool environment to work in you know so we're talking like 2000 and then obviously 9-11 happens and then when 9-11 happened where i was in soho that whole street west broadway below houston It's, you know, and not to not to be uh, not to sound, you know, whatever, but it was basically the fire on Ground Zero was burning for months, if not like a whole year. Yeah. So there was a smell and, you know, and, and it was not Soho was really decimated business wise. So there wasn't a lot of work there. There were days where I would show up to work and, you you know, we, you know, we'd make $14 or, you know, and it would, and it would really be local, other local, other businesses that coming in that really wouldn't even be ordering food. They would just give us money just to, just to keep our, our spirits up. Yeah. I mean, it was a really, it was a really tough time, um, down there, but I'll tell you like, that's the thing that. You know I didn't love how uh, you know how uh, I didn't love a lot of ways that New York City responded to 9 eleven as far as just like getting the getting the tower rebuilt and all that stuff but I can tell you on the lower level sort of like the micro level um, the people really banded together and everyone that was down in lower Manhattan was very supportive of each other because we knew like no one's coming to visit down here right now you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. like, it's it just was not it just was a, a place that people were staying away from. You know, but it was uh, it was a it was an exciting time, you know, obviously up until then. Um, but that was that, you know, I was waiting tables there. And then after I was there, I was at a place called the Mercer Kitchen, which is which is like a celebrity hangout, you know. And uh, and, you know, so that was like how I was making money, what, you know, doing sets at uh, Stand Up New York. Uh, my first couple of times there, like I had to beg to let, let them you know, let me come back because I ran the light like so much. Yeah. You know what I mean?
0: How much are you running that, it by?
1: I was running it to the, to where they would turn the mic off. Jeez. Yeah. And it was honestly, bro, it was. Then you called Patsy. Young and <laughs> stupid. Yeah, exactly. I had all that, I had all that juice from Patsy. I was feeling bold, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um. But it was, you know, and, and again, dude, this is like in the beginning, especially, you know, with standup, no one tells you no one tells you like what to do or you know like there's no there's no people start doing stand up in all different places there's right. no one way to do it and i i hate you know i don't want to say hate but i really don't like when there's comedian friends of mine that are like oh you got to do this and that and this is you know you, you don't get respected unless you go a certain route and i just was never I just never subscribe to that because I think that's bullshit, you know. Oh, whenever so, anybody
0: would ask me for advice, I would always give him. I'd, I'd be like, "Oh, be nice to everybody. Like, you know, be original." And then I go and uh, and uh, just and I would get up as much as I can. I go and also uh, don't listen to anybody, including me, if you didn't like anything I just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking, I'm, but you know what I mean. You're not asking fucking Seinfeld. And even if you were, it's like he had a different route than it was a different time. So it's like there's really no. There's really nobody to ask. That's the thing, and I, you know, I'm sure you, you two, get asked all the time after shows, especially if you do a, where there's younger people, and they're like, "Hey, man, I really want to get like, what do I do?" And I'm like, first, you move out of fucking Iowa." (laughs)
1: Yeah. Step one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's really the, the, the advice that I, and it's exactly kind of what you said. It's just you know, get up as much as you can, write as much as you can, and you know, keep doing it. You know, that's 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 really. But, you know, I've gotten some stuff like so. I mean, I'll get into it right now. I mean, I so basically I started doing, you know, stand up in New York City. And at that time I started getting involved with I was doing student films for New York Film Academy. I met some guys there that were shooting, uh, you know, that were doing films. and I was in a couple of films there. And one of the guys that was directing uh, a movie, uh, you know, a, a student film there or whatever, um stay in touch with me he was an nbc page and he got a group of nbc pages together to make a sketch group and oh, it was, here it was goes. Every, everyone in the sketch group were nbc pages so uh and i heard he was doing this and i was like oh that's really cool so he had called me because he knew i was a good writer and he was like hey listen we you know would you submit some sketches and you know would you maybe want to be a part of this and i was like of course so i the the group was called next monday and i was the only non-nbc page that was in this group so as we were you know doing these uh you know we, we would get together do some shows we would actually we had some really great shows where you know a lot of people came up and because they were all in nbc you know they were at 30 rock they were able to get influential people to come and see these shows. Where, you know? are, you so where are you doing a, these
0: shows? With
1: the we were movie. doing, we were doing, uh, there was one theater that we, we used to do called the Chernookin theater in New York city. It's in Midtown. And that's where, um, that's where the show you're in town uh, started before it made it to a full Broadway show. And, um, but we would be rehearsing uh, and meeting in studio eight H where,
0: um, where, I S-
1: where SNL is. Yeah. So, and, That's and you rehearsed? Yeah, we yeah, we would we would we would rehearse we just had the run of the place. What? Because, because Did you ever meet guys, Lauren Michaels
0: during a rehearsal?
1: Because these guys were NBC pages, we we just had the fucking clearance, you know, to, to go in and whatever. Like so we were kinda like we were all knocking around the place like it was like, you know, someone's house, you know. And I mean it was really, really cool. Um, so we would, you know, we would meet there, we would pitch sketches there and we would rehearse, uh, scenes there. Um, one night we were doing a meeting, uh, in sort of like this boardroom space that's on, uh, the floor of 8H and, you know, we were pitching ideas, last minute pitches for the show that we had coming up and, uh, you know, and we would, you know, we would give out scripts to all 10 members and, you know, you know, go over the different scenes and whatever. Long story short uh and on snl the next week was one of those scenes
0: oh so they just what so you guys left the scripts or something or they somebody it?
1: somebody left the script behind and then it just got fucking <laughs> so someone just picked it up and just submitted it as their own wow. and it was on tv <laughs> so, Jeez. Like, so like so what one was of the, the sketch you know, one of that I forget I forget what it was it wasn't my sketch but it was uh, it was a friend of ours sketch it was like some doctor's office thing um, I think it was like a doctor's office it was, it was some sort of office scene um, but uh, but it was really funny because we had all read it and then it was that it was either that week or the week after you know, we're watching SNL and the fucking scene is on there and we're just all calling each other back then. You know, we weren't really texting. Yeah. Just call, I don't even think there was texting yet. And, uh, well they did in Europe, but not in America. So I said, <laughs> we were calling each other and we were like, Holy shit, dude, what the fuck? And then it came down to like, who left it? Who left their shit behind? <laughs> you know
0: what I mean? Like, <laughs>
1: So it was like, it was really funny. So anyway, we're doing this sketch group called Next Monday. We're performing. And at that time, uh, I had uh, uh, the guy that I knew that was in the group um, who is now a writer. Uh, he's a network writer out here in L.A. He, he called me and he said, look, this guy uh, wants to meet us. He has a show. He has a variety show. And he says, uh, maybe we can do a, a scene uh, in, in the variety show. And I said, okay, cool. He goes, but he, he seems like really rough around the edges. I want you to come with me to meet him. And I go, okay. So my friend Ryan and I went to go meet Jeff Beecher, uh, at this Ah. apartment in New York city. And it was Beecher of Beecher's madhouse. Uh, and at the time he had a show called comedy gone wild. And he said, you know, and Beecher's whole angle was he wanted this, this, this group who was connected to NBC to be on his show so he can get some more NBC contacts essentially. But yeah. he didn't say that, but that's really what his angle was.
0: Explain so real quick to, to anyone listening what Beecher's Madhouse is.
1: So Beecher's Madhouse is a big variety show that was sort of mixed the, uh, mixed the atmosphere of a circus with the energy of a nightclub. That's the way I would always describe it. So it would be a standup comedy show, but also an event So, when your ticket is torn, you come in, you're seeing uh, contortionists and sort of freaks, little people, you know, just a mix of like this crazy world. And then then we open a stage show. And back then we would do, you know, dance contests, karaoke contests with audience members, and some people were plants. Um, And we would uh, then bring on uh, variety acts from all over the world. And then we would close the show with stand ups. So I was bringing on like Bill Burr used to do our show all the time. And, and now this is about 2000, 2000. This is actually like 2001, 2002 we're getting into now. OK. And it was it was like Bill Burr, Steve Byrne, Robert Kelly, um, Jessica Kearson. There were very few comedians that could handle what we were doing because it was just very high energy. And if you were not big enough, you know, as far as your energy and your presence, right. you were not going to be able to get through this room because, it, you know, we essentially, we just sort of wind up the room with like this crazy circus sideshow freak show. And then we're like, Hey, all right, now uh, settle down and enjoy some up. Yeah. you know, which, which is, which can be very tough, but some of the right people were able to do it the right way. So I was able to get the uh, next Monday group to perform at this Beecher's madhouse It was at this place called uh, the Supper Club, 47th and Broadway, beautiful theater. It was like, you know, a thousand people cabaret style seating, beautiful room. We get up there, we start doing this scene. Now, because I was new to the group and I was the only one that wasn't an NBC page, there was some resentment within the group. So I didn't really get many lines in this scene. Okay. but I sat. it it took place in a um, in a psych ward and You know, people are doing stuff. My only role was to be all the way downstage, and I'm sort of on the ground rocking back and forth like a crazy person. That was really my only role. So the scene goes up, and they start bombing, and they start bombing hard to where people are booing. (laughs) Some people start throwing, like, limes and lemons from their drinks to the stage, and it's not going well. So I start, rock, you know, I'm still rocking back and forth in the front and I'm not mic'd or anything. And I'm just like, this isn't going well. You know, I start twitching and doing like a, like I have Tourette's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, they don't like you. We shouldn't have done this, you know? And, I'm, <laughs> and, and I'm, so I'm doing commentary as these guys are still going through their lines. And I'm almost kind of, I'm improv completely, but also I turn the room around. Okay. So by the end of the scene, everyone's like, they actually get an applause and we get off stage and Beecher brings us to the side. Now there's like another act that's on stage. Beecher brings us to the side and he goes, he goes, I never want to see you motherfuckers in my theater again. Don't ever (laughs) fucking come back here. And then he looks at me and he goes, except for you, can you host next week? Jeez. And that's, yeah. And it was like one of those classic, like, the kid stays in the picture type moments, you know. Yeah. And because at the time it was just Jeff Beecher and Greg Wilson, you know Greg Wilson.
0: Oh, he was on it too.
1: The, the Greg Wilson was the original MC of Beecher's Madhouse before it turned into Beecher's Madhouse.
0: Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: So so it was Greg Wilson, D. Greg Wilson, and Beecher, and uh, and me. So you know, so after that performance, I started hosting Beecher's Madhouse with Greg and with Beecher, and then that became really big in New York City. And then in 2003, we brought it to the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. So at, at the joint, which was a really big venue, um, and then from there, I mean, that it became my show because uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, Greg Wilson kind of s- stepped away from the show and. And I I was able to take full control of the hosting, you know, Um, but it was a crazy it was a crazy world like and at that point, you know, I was so immersed in the this variety show that I wasn't doing stand up as much as I wanted to, especially when I moved to Las Vegas. So it was a shift from doing stand up, and then all of a sudden I'm kind of caught up in this variety show.
0: Wow, so yeah, I mean, I remember being in L.A. and somebody saying. I can't remember who's saying like, "Oh, you should do Beecher's Madhouse," but then they'd be like, I don't even think you guys are doing comics by the time I got to know you, because I yeah, I met yeah, you in like we, what 2012 yeah, we, or 11.
1: Right, we stopped doing we stopped doing comedians because, like I said, so when we had it at the Hard Rock in Vegas at the at the uh, at the joint, it was you know it, we were using the same guys because they could handle what that room was. You know, I, actually, I just saw Sam Tripoli today. And he was uh, he was coming out of a rest, a, a restaurant with uh, Annie Letterman and uh, and we were talking about it. And he goes, man, he goes, I was he goes, I was supposed to do I was supposed to go on stage. And Pete told me because he was telling Annie, he goes, Pete told me, listen, man, if if the room turns on you and start booing them and they, they start booing you, just start complimenting the girls. Right because <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't remember even telling him this, but th- but that's what he told that's what he said today that I told him. And he goes, I'm about to go on stage and he goes, and right before I go on, Pete comes out to me and says, Wait, we gotta do this thing first and I called up Paris Hilton on stage. It was her birthday. And this was during the height of Paris Hilton. Yeah. This is like this is like two thousand four, two thousand five. When she was like, when we just started entering this reality star world. That's like when her
0: style. talent really finally started to get noticed.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so the place, she's like, oh, I love Beaches, Madhouse. And everyone's like, ah. and Like <laughs> just, you know, just massive, you know, massive reactions. And she says a couple other words. It's like, ah, big response. And then I'm like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Sam Tripoli. And then, oh, jeez. So Tripoli comes out <clears throat> and just starts eating shit, and then, and then he goes, he's like, he's like, I, I just wasn't being able, I wasn't able to get anything, get this crowd moving at all. And then he just said, uh, well, uh, but how about the ladies in this place? This is the hottest girls in the world. Everyone's like, yeah! <laughs> and then he, t- he, dude, he turned the whole room around. It was amazing. It was amazing. Jeez, but so very few comics were able to sort of handle that, you know. Cause I remember one time we had Sebastian come on, and um, and Beecher was trying to tell him to bring the energy up. So I'm with Sebastian in the hotel room in uh, at the Hard Rock, and Beecher comes up with a VHS tape of Robert Kelly and Steve Byrne doing that room. <laughs> and he, t- I swear to God, Jeff, he told Sebastian to watch the tape. And and sort of like see how they handle the room, right? And then so Beecher leaves, and it's just me and Sebastian. And he goes, "Ping." the Beecher just drop off a video thing for me to look at? <laughs> and I go, "Yeah, man, you don't have to look at it." I go, "Dude, just do your thing. You know, like you'll be fine." And that night, Sebastian comes out. I introduce Sebastian, and the room is rowdy. It's all fucking young people, and and people with money and and they've just seen this whole crazy show and they're very loud. And Sebastian comes out and it's, it really goes to show you that, you know, how good he is in, in his persona. He didn't change a thing, right? So he starts out and he's like, yeah, it's good to be here at Beatrice Madhouse. And he's like, you know, and he starts getting into his set and he's like, the girls in Vegas, they got the shirts that says slut, do me, you know? And he's like doing his, his set. And the room was loud in the beginning, but he just kept doing his set, his set, and you you just hear them gradually quiet down, and gradually quiet down, and gradually quiet down, and finally, about like five minutes in, you can hear a pin drop in that room, and Sebastian is just still out. Have you been? Have you seen Marshalls? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. have you seen the Ross for less? And you could hear a pin drop in the place. But he he made the crowd come to him instead of instead of, you know, a lot of people would like change their act to kind of match the energy of the crowd. He just stayed at Sebastian level and made the crowd come to him. It it was it was really impressive. It was really impressive.
0: That's really interesting. I remember uh, Tosh told me, Daniel Tosh told me something once at Comedy Magic Club where when he was getting uh, when he first started to get really famous from uh, Tosh.0, And I mean, that guy, if anyone knows, was doing really well for a long time, but then he got super, super famous because of that show. And he said, uh, he was telling me how, because he's doing these huge venues now and people started yelling shit out, you know, the same way, apparently, I I don't know Dave Chappelle, but apparently when Chappelle's Chappelle's show was really popular, uh, that's what pissed Dave Chappelle off is people just be yelling out like, I'm rich, bitch, and stuff like that when he's on stage yeah and uh Tosh was telling me how like the second he gets out there people start yelling stuff and he just immediately just fucking rips into him and he's like we're not doing that shit like or something he said like and he goes he told me he goes never let the crowd control you but what Sebastian did that's pretty impressive because uh yeah I wouldn't have I don't that's like a that is like a skill where it's like if you just own it eventually it works out, but you really have right. to fucking own it for, you can't just own it for 10 seconds. You have to, like you said, it probably took five minutes.
1: No, yeah, yeah. And and it was, you know, it was committing to, you know, and being confident in the act that he had and the personality that he is. Yeah. And you have to understand at that time where we were paying, I mean, it was a very, it was a very interesting gig for, for, for comics to do when we had Beechers at the, at the hard rock in Vegas, because we're paying you like $1,500, <clears throat> To do like 15 minutes. Yeah. And you're staying at the hard rock, and you know, your food's covered, and you hang out with me, and I had Vegas all dialed in. So it's like whether it's Artie Lang or whoever, it's like you're gonna you're gonna hang with Pete and Pete's gonna fucking hook you up with whatever the fuck you want. You know what I mean? It was a really cool gig, but it really got certain comics better at certain things. For example. Bill Burr one time got booed off our stage in in Vegas at the Hard Rock. Like booed like like ravaged, ravaged. Yeah. And it was because he came off the he came on the stage and he starts open, his his opening joke was about how he's a 37-year-old loser who still sleeps on the futon or whatever. And we were like it's like, you know, the room is full of like 21-year-old fucking strippers and yeah. You know what I mean? They weren't relating to that. They didn't want to hear that. They're, they, you know, they, they just didn't want to hear it. So he starts getting booed, and and he kind of let it sort of get the best of him. And I remember I was off stage because that weekend Steve Byrne was there, Burr was there, Tripoli was hanging out. Um, Burr gets off the stage, and I hear him, and he goes, he goes, fuck, he's like. It's like fuck, I should I should have just fucking stayed on the stage. I should've just fucking stayed there and counted fucking time. Fuck those motherfuckers. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, He said all this stuff. Now, about two or three months later, I wanna say. That's, I, when, the, that's like, when the
0: Philly thing happened?
1: That's when Philadelphia happened. And Bird told Bert told us afterwards. That shit that happened in Philly, and for those of you guys that don't know, like, you know, Berg go you know, I am sure most of the people that listen to this podcast know what I'm talking about.
0: But didn't Google he goes it. to
1: Philadelphia, he gets booed, and he just he just he ranks on Philly and he counts down the time that he has left that he's gonna do, and then he winds up turning around this 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 fucking animal crowd into respecting what he was doing. Yeah. And Burr said afterwards, he goes, Dude, if it wasn't for Beach's Madhouse, I never would have done that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he he just he wouldn't have he wouldn't have done it because he got so ravaged by this angry like because it it was a similar type crowd that was that was doing that booing and just i'm talking fucking ocean waves of booze where you can feel the booze you know what i mean like that's how it was almost tangible and he was so (laughs) he was so regretful that he got booed off the stage at the at the joint at the hard rock that he was like dude because i heard him say he goes i should have fucking counted i should have just counted down my fucking time. And that's what he did in Philadelphia. And sure. that's what, you know, and, and again, that's something that he wouldn't have done without without that experience at Beecher's, you know. So it cut certain people's teeth in, uh, in you know, in different ways. That's just you know, always that interesting, show.
0: man. It's like you never know how any situation in the moment, uh, I don't know if you know that uh, the Chinese farmer story or whatever, but uh, basically the point is, I don't do the whole thing or anything, but the point is, you, you know, sometimes something seems great, and it might not right. turn out to be great. Sometimes something seems horrible. It might not turn out to be horrible. You know what I mean? So that's kind of one of those things. I I do. I'll never bail if I'm you know if I'm having a bad set. I'd always do go over my time because I wanted the audience to know like I didn't care. <laughs> and then if yeah, exactly. you know what I mean? Like I remember a brawl. A couple times I've been on stage. Brawls have broken out. And one time in Tampa, I was I was really young and I was featuring. so it was a middle act for Pablo Francisco. And it's packed. And it's three levels at the Tampa Improv. And the second level, I'm, I'm probably three minutes into a thirty minute set, and it was going fine. And then all of a sudden, I hear some girl on the second floor go, "Fucking Anthony!" And it was so loud, I was about to make you know comment on what everyone obviously just heard before I could even say something. Fucking tables are being thrown. A brawl broke out. The police showed up. Like all this happened during my set, and I just kind of like narrated it. And people were looking up, but also kind of laughing the whole time. Like they, I wasn't killing or anything, but they were laughing. And then. After it all calmed down, I made a couple jokes about it, got back into my set, ended up having to do like 45 minutes. And then after the show, Pablo goes, he's like, dude, that was fucking one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. He's like, I would have just gotten off the stage. And I was like, I didn't know I was allowed to get off the stage. Like I thought if I got off the stage, everything would have been blamed on me.
1: (laughs) That would have been interesting. You're saying that was at the Tampa Improv, right?
0: Yeah. I don't know what it looks like now. It was the only time I was there.
1: But yeah, but it was like all, it, it they have like, it feels like it has like 10, 10 levels of balconies in that place.
0: Yeah, the balconies are real, it's like real, it's weird. It's, it's, it's it doesn't like, like go back like a, like a theater balcony. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's
1: interesting, dude. Wait, right, so real quick.
0: Di- oh, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, what were we going to say, buddy? I'm sorry.
0: No, well, I want to talk more about Beecher's Madhouse because uh, it's interesting because I remember you told me, I remember years ago you told me you stopped smoking weed and then, you were like, oh, I smoked the other day because uh, Miley Cyrus handed me a joint. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so, so, so when we brought the show to Hollywood, we were doing it at the Hollywood uh, Roosevelt, which is this, you know, historic hotel. The room that it was in was actually the was actually the room where the uh, first Oscars was held. It's this really small room. Um, the occupancy, the fire, uh, you know, code occupancy on the room, I think was at like 250 or something. So you're really just getting about, you know, 300, 400 people in that room, but everyone in there was supposed to be there. You know, I've never seen anything like it. It was a very exclusive room. It was the only time in my life. I was telling uh, someone the other day. It was like, you know. I remember one time I opened up a show and I'm rapping. I, I opened up the show and, I, and I, I did this rap, this introductory. It's sort of like the theme song of Beecher's Madhouse. And I'm in the middle of doing like the first couple of lines and I look down and I see Arsenio Hall, right? And I'm like, oh yeah, of course, Arsenio. And next to him was Eddie <laughs> Murphy. Next to him was Eddie Murphy. Jeez. And man. I was like, oh, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting that one. I've never seen, I didn't know Eddie Murphy went outside. Like I, I've never seen him anywhere and um and just to see the two of them together obviously we're big fans of uh, coming to america right. and you know and it was like this surreal thing like i saw so many surreal i had so many surreal moments in this environment because it wasn't about having you know scott disick or some d-list people in there yeah. it was there were some a-list like the real johnny depp we would have we had a, a johnny depp impersonator and then the real one on the same show know. Uh, yeah, like, like, yeah. We, it, they were just they, they were just there in the they were just, oh, just floating the, around the room.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. That's we hired funny.
1: the Johnny Depp impersonator, and like, dude, I, I saw, I saw the real Johnny Depp throw a glass of red wine on the Johnny Depp impersonator.
0: <laughs> why, why did he do that?
1: Because uh, the the Johnny Depp impersonator, which by the way, he looks just like Don, Johnny Depp. and yeah. he wasn't in like the the the. the he wasn't in like the sparrow outfit. He was in the outfit that he would wear to look like Johnny Depp, you know. So it's like
0: mocking him, kind of
1: eye makeup and like a, you know the hat that he wears. Yeah, I mean it's ki- I mean kind of mocking him, but not like he looked just like him. Yeah. And I think he was getting a little bit too handsy with the real Johnny Depp, like he was drunk. The impersonator oh. was, and then the real Johnny Depp was like he just had it. He had enough. You know what's so, it's so I, funny I, I was was,
0: about Johnny? Was, De- real quick, yeah, dude, go, Johnny Depp my wife that's like that was her like big crush growing up and my wife takes uh there are kids to disneyland all the time because they have a pass and uh i don't know if you know but last year i think was it last year or a year ago oh no uh the real johnny depp showed up to stand at the end of the pirates ride where like the fake johnny depp like the animatronic one is
1: i heard about this yeah. it was
0: the day after they went or like, oh. <laughs> and i was like "Oh, you missing the real johnny depp <laughs> Like, Dude, that would have
1: sucked. I know. One time, one time, I walked off the stage after the show at Beecher's Madhouse, and the stage is like, you know, we had a curtain, but you know, at the end of the show, I would get, you know, just walk off the stage and, you know, sort of sort of say goodbye to people and whatever. So I come off the stage, and I'm just go to, I'm just returning my mic to the sound guy, and I step off the stage, and I find myself standing right next to Mel Gibson. Oh, Okay. And Mel Gibson looks at me, and he goes. Hey, he's like, uh, he's like, hey, uh, hey, mate, uh, it's, a, it's a great show. He says something like that. He's like, hey, great, great job, man. It's a great show. And I got, and I said, I said, thank, you. I go, I go, thank you, Mr. Gibson. And then I swear to God, dude, this is what happened. This is what just came out of my mouth. And I don't think I was drunk or anything. I just, this is what just, <laughs> this is what came out of my mouth. I go, oh, thank you, Mr. Gibson. I go, you know what, man? I go, and and with all the Jewish stuff aside, this <laughs> came out of my mouth. Now at this point. I, so I say, with all the Jewish stuff aside, his eyes sort of widen a little bit. And I kind of look Jewish. I mean, like, either way, he's looking at a guy that might be Jewish, Yeah. He, he doesn't know what's coming next. Yeah. It might be me, you know, like, who knows? But he was like very open and was like, all right, you know, I guess I got to take whatever's going to come next. <laughs> and I, and it just came out of my mouth. Yeah, you know, With all the Jewish stuff aside, and I just go, Apocalypto is a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just smiled and nodded and walked out. It was just so funny. So, yeah, so we would always get these, um, you know, these these sort of A-list celebrities in. And Miley Cyrus would come and, and hang out during the show. Um, and we would do, at the time, three shows a week. It was Wednesday, Friday, Saturdays at uh, at the Roosevelt. And she was hanging out. And she was not of age yet. You know, she was, I mean, maybe she was 18 Okay. You know, 18, 19 years old or something like that. I don't know. Like she definitely wasn't 21 yet and she was hanging out. And that's where, you know, she wound up doing a tour that was sort of uh, based on, you know, she basically ripped off Beecher's Madhouse and did this tour with um, Amazon (laughs) Ashley, the big black Amazon uh, lady with the big butt who taught her how to twerk. And, and um, you know, she had, she did a tour with like sort of like a circus atmosphere and that was based off of her, you know, we basically are responsible for turning Hannah Montana into Miley Cyrus. <laughs> like, we, we, we played a role in that, you know, when, when everyone's like, why is she just getting naked and doing this stuff and being crude and sticking her tongue out? Like, yeah, that was from us. So one day we're hanging out and I, I, I'd stopped smoking weed for a while and uh, she just came up to me and she, and then she, you know, cause she started getting into weed a lot, like smoking a lot. Yeah. And, uh, she came up to me and she had this, it was a, uh, it wasn't a spliff. It was a, uh, what do they call that? Was it, it's like, I mean, not a, it's not a filly. I mean, basically a she had, a, she, yeah, yeah. She had like a blunt, she had like a blunt, uh, and then she took out, uh, a joint and the joint was wrapped in this gold leaf. Um, paper. Jeez. And she was like, "Do you want to?" S-? She goes, "This is this has got real gold in it." She's like, "Do you want to smoke?" You know this joint, and I was like, "It was such a surreal moment." First of all, I was like, "Is gold a heavy metal? Are we toxifying ourselves? <laughs> like, what's, what's going on? Like, is this good to be burning gold in your mouth and putting it into your lungs? Like, we're gonna have like gold plated fucking bronchial issues? Like, I did not know what was going on." So, yeah, so I, I smoked with her, got so high, and then, uh, yeah, man, and it was just surreal moments like that where you're like, what is this life? The LA version of Beecher's Madhouse was really a conglomeration of just all sorts of, you know, just insane experiences, seeing stars that you grew up, you know, looking up to, or, you know, whether it's Sandra Bullock or, you know, you just you would just see these people uh, in these situations and, and having a good time. Because it was known that you can, you know, these guys can come to Beechers at the Roosevelt and not get, you know, bothered by people taking photos or yeah. whatever. It was a, it was sort of like a safe space. What you know um, what I
0: mean? which celebrities? Were there any celebrities that were dicks, or were they all just kind of cool because of the the situation you guys were in?
1: Vin Diesel one time he wanted to turn. It was like the end of the night. It's like we have to turn the lights on. At like two o'clock, you know, two a.m. anyway, and then yeah. people would take their time getting out of there. He wanted, um, he wanted us to turn the lights up, I think, so the room could see him enter.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, and I was like, "Hey guys, I got news for you." I like, I like, I, I, I. Then I, told his manager. The manager told me that that's what had to be done. And I go, okay, cool. And then I just walk over to the GM. I'm like, hey, I got news for you. We're not touching the lights right now. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it was so close to closing that if you turn the lights up, we, we were going to lose the energy in the room. It's like yeah. we're not going to fucking turn the lights up so people can see Vin Diesel coming in the room. You know what I mean? You know what's so funny? There was, there was some stuff like that. But I was in funny situations. And like, <laughs> there was one time where it made me feel so old. Um, backstage... And I'm, I'm bringing, you know, and so my job is, you know, I'm, I'm the I'm the host of the show. So I just I bring on the acts. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, you know, sideshow acts, little person acts or legit acts. It doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. So this guy comes up to me and he, he's got he's got all he's just like a fucked up face. He's got like dirty braids on and just fucking his mouth is full of gold and all this shit. And he's like, hey, man, I want to uh, they said I can do a song. And I was like, uh, I don't know, man. And he's like, hey, yeah, know, yeah, yeah. They said I can do a song. I want to do a song. This place is great. And I was like, "I don't know, man." And then this uh, little short kid comes up to me. It was the dude's manager. Turns out it, it's it's Post Malone, right? Oh, right. So, <laughs> and I had no idea who. Bro, Post I, I wouldn't have known. I
0: wouldn't know what what Post Malone looked like up until like two weeks ago.
1: Yeah. So the manager, dude, and I'll tell you, Jeff, it's like certain moments in your life, you just feel like I'm like, oh, I guess I'm an old man now. I don't know. The manager looks at me and he goes, "Hey he goes this is post Malone he's gonna be doing he's, he because he's gonna be doing a song called saucin or it's either saucy or saucin and he goes, yeah, just say just say yeah saucin the kid he goes the kids love it dude the kids love it and I was like, all right I'm officially an old man <laughs> and of course I introduced post Malone doing that song and the place goes fucking nuts dude wow the place goes nuts yeah and then Dude, I've done, dude. I've had so many crazy stage experiences there, where you know, just crazy shit.
0: How long did that show in Hollywood go for? Because I only went to the one in Vegas. uh, Did I go twice or once when it was at the MGM Grand?
1: Right, right, yeah. So we had the we had the one in Hollywood for about four years, and that to me was like my favorite version of the show because the room was so small and it was very intimate and it was there was just a lot of fun the clippers used to come you know Blake Griffin when he played with the clippers and Chris Paul Chris Paul used to bring his mom and his whole family Chris Paul used to dress up like he was going to church and it'll be like <laughs> it would be like a wednesday night after a game at the staples and he would bring his whole family his mother would be dressed like they would they were like dressed to the nines like they were going to church. They're seven yeah. And they were coming to Beecher's Madhouse, man. It was just, it was just trippy. Um, but yeah, so that was my favorite version of it. And then we brought it to MGM Grand in twenty fifteen, sixteen, um, and you know, and by that time, it's like you know, it was it was good, it was fun. But I was living in LA, and I was going back and forth, and it was just really taxing on on me. You know, what you I mean? did,
0: well, did you do it? Tw- How many shows did you do a week in Vegas?
1: It was, we were doing, like, at a time, we were doing, like, four, we were doing, like, four nights a week, and they were, like, late nights, you know? Yeah. Um. So I would come to L.A., and then I would just try to, like, recharge for a couple of days and then have to go back to Vegas, and it was, um, you know, it was tough. But that's the thing, it's, like, I was doing so much of Beecher's Madhouse and that it was you know, it was, it was exhausting. It was exhausting.
0: And why did it end? Because Beecher decided not to do it anymore. He ran out of money or what? Like, how does he, ha- yeah, how do you have I mean, money? You told me before why he had money. I can't remember what you said.
1: Yeah, it was Beecher's, you know, I think it, I think it was, I think it was just like, you know, you know, I think it was on the business end of things, you know, I don't know really what happened, but, um, you know, there were, you know, there were, there were powers that were involved that were greater than, than what I was, than, than my pay grade. You know what I mean? I was sort of the, you know, the MC host. I never really dealt with the business aspect of things. And I just know with a show like that, there's a lot of moving parts. You know, there's, there's several individual acts and, you know, we have dancers, you have, you have lighting people and, you know, sound people and, you uh, a wait staff, you have bartenders, which, you know, they're different than, you know, they're on, they get paid on a different, uh, platform than the performers do, you know? And there's, there's, there's unions involved. And, you know, so I, 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 I never, I, ne- I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that I was okay with it, you know?
0: Yeah, Yeah. I remember, I remember you were kind of burnt out during the Vegas years a little bit.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing it's like, you know, and, and I, and I loved it. Like, to be honest, man, it's, <clears throat> there's there's things that I've done in that show that are like, you know, bucket list items. There's, you know, it was a really unbelievable experience, you know, to you know, to <clears throat> to do, you know, that things that I wanted to do. You know, I was a I was a big fan of hip hop. I was able to kind of like rap anytime I wanted and 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 rap with, you know, rappers, like real rappers. And, yeah. You know what I mean? And and you know, and 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 sort of just get that creative outlet on such a regular basis and be paid to where you can be a professional entertainer for so many years in a row is just unbelievable, you know?
0: Yeah. Was there any, (laughs) but can you, real quick, can you explain to people, was there any, were, were there any celebrities, especially women or men, uh, who, when you saw them in person, you were like, Whoa, they're way better. Like I knew they were good looking, but they're way better looking than I thought.
1: That's a good question. You know who really was, I mentioned her when I saw Sandra Bullock, She's like, she's beautiful. This is what she I try was, and tell her.
0: people about movie actors. The camera, no, no one, we don't really realize it. The camera's always so close on their faces that we take it for granted that if the camera was that close on our faces, we'd look like shit. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> and like they, the fact that they look that good, like my dad the other day was saying, I showed him Rachel McAdams, uh, I guess he never, my dad loves movies, I showed him uh, her her screen test for uh, The Notebook, which was on the, uh, not a screen test, Her just her audition, it's on YouTube, you know? And, uh, I go, I go, this, I go, this lady's beautiful. I've never seen her person, but she's gorgeous. My dad's like, she's pretty, but I mean, I go, have you ever seen a fucking movie? Like my dad has, but I'm like, their faces, especially now with technology getting better and better, like through the oh, yeah. years, dude, it's like you're close up. Like even, uh, Emma Stone is somebody who I'm like, eh, whatever. Like I, should I look at her and I'm like, eh, she's like, she's cute. I guarantee if I saw that girl in real life, I'd be like, her face is like, there's a glow around it.
1: Yeah, exactly. And there was some, yeah, there's, and that's the thing. It's like <clears throat> there were some people that I saw, and I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of some, but there were some. There were some a- actresses mostly. It would be actresses um, or famous like um, famous singers that I would see, and I would be like, Oh, okay, I get it. I get why that's an A list. I get why she's a straight up superstar. Yeah, I never touched. T- looks-
0: I never thought Ashton Kutcher was that good looking, and then I, he hired me for something a long time ago to do these like secret web videos, and he was the director, so I hung out with him all day. That guy is fucking super good looking.
1: Yeah, and dude, Demi Moore. Speaking of Ashton, she's another one. She would come to Beechers when it was in Hollywood, and it's like, dude, it's not like she's a you know spring chicken at the time, and she was drop dead gorgeous. <laughs> I mean, still, it's, I mean, still is probably, but you know, it was like unbelievable. Like I never met her. Shockingly, shockingly hot.
0: I like, met her dog, though, because she was with Ashton at the time, and the dog was there. I remember being like, Demi Moore's dog. I was still so young. <laughs> I was like, I got oh, to and, meet Ashton Kutcher today, <laughs> work dude, with and, him, and I hung out with Demi Moore's dog and petted it.
1: <laughs> and you know who else is, uh, God, what is her name? Um, God, she, she, oh, Jesus. I can't, dude, it's so crazy.
0: Well, if it comes uh, to you, let me know. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to ask you about this before we talk about you dating Stormy Daniels and how that came about and what she's like, because you said you guys are still friends, so that'll probably be yeah. interesting for people. She's pretty famous at this point. Um, you, I remember you told me a long time ago, so before you moved to New York, this must have been, you told me you worked on Capitol Hill for like a congressperson or something, and oh, yeah. and you told me, and I'm really interested in this because I one thing I can't stand is how it's just like the country becomes more and more divided. And I think social media and the internet and all that is like really playing into it in like 24-hour news cycle. But you, I remember you telling me you were working on Capitol Hill during the 2000 election or before it. And you said, I mean, obviously I want to talk about this and correct me, but what I remember is you said, you know, you worked for... I think you worked for a Republican Congressperson, even yeah, though you were a Democrat. You got a good memory, buddy. Yeah, and you said that all the you know people who worked like everybody kind of got along, and you guys all hung out. Whether you worked for a Republican or a Democrat, and it was kind of like, oh hey, like yeah, we need this it, bill it passed. Was
1: different. It was a it's a whole different thing. Jessica Alba is who I was thinking of.
0: Oh, she's um, a, yeah, she's pretty
1: shockingly hot. Yeah. Um, the so yeah, back then. So basically, when I was working on Capitol Hill, I worked on Capitol Hill from like '95 to '99. And this was obviously, you know, Newt Gingrich has had already, you know, he's he already sort of muddied the, you know, partisan waters and and whatever. But even even with having Clinton in office and Newt Gingrich uh, being the Speaker of the House, and as uh, uh, divisive as, as both of those. Uh, People were. Those guys worked
0: together, though, didn't they? I didn't really yeah, pay I mean, attention.
1: I, I mean, I mean, there, there were. I mean, it's not that Clinton was working with Newt Gingrich. Newt Gingrich did. I mean, Newt Gingrich really was the godfather of how we all got to this point. You know, he okay. was the one. I mean, he. You know, he really. He really made the effort to galvanize the the differences between the two parties, rather than looking for the common ground. And it was that sort of mentality that that led us to where we are today.
0: Well, but I remember you telling then, me I even, remember-
1: even back yeah back then I was working for a Republican uh, congressman the th- from the Third District of New Jersey, a guy by the name of Jim Saxton. And I remember as you know I started off as an intern, and, and then eventually at the end of it I was uh, I was you know uh, writing and co-writing speeches that were uh, that were you know on the floor of Congress. But wow! It was it was it was something to where I would be able to, I would go to other offices on the Capitol to get to gather signatures for legislation that were both Democratic and Republican signatures.
0: Yeah, that's what you told me. Which I don't
1: even think, I don't even think that happens anymore. I'm talking like you know like now we look at something and if you can get a republican and a democrat to to co-author a bill it's always like you know naming a fucking library or something yeah and then, you know so, I mean? and then it
0: gets trashed by both sides exactly <laughs> cuz they're like why it's would like, you
1: work with the other side <laughs> right right and back then i remember like it was you know it was very common and again i'm working for a republican it's not that i was a republican it's that i uh, this guy, uh, was, uh, the, the congressman from my district in New Jersey. So it was my easiest way in to work on Capitol Hill is to be from the, you know, the, uh, the, the district to be a constituent. Yeah. So, um, it, but it was something to where I would be able to go and gather signatures and it was not even like a big deal. And we would, you know, all of the events at the Capitol, especially for, uh, the house of representatives, um it it was a very much it didn't matter whether you were a republican or democrat uh it was a very much everyone was sort of commingling together and all that stuff from what i understand now from my friends on the hill now they there's staffs that don't they basically have a policy like you can't go to certain events if the staff of someone from the other side is going to be there
0: Jeez, yeah I remember yeah. you what I was trying to say earlier. I know it's tough sometimes because we're I do this over uh, Skype so we can't see each other. but, um, I do remember you telling me because you said you left in ninety nine and you said in two thousand when like the the Bush Gore vote and it was all like that became like a real nitpicky oh, like or we can you know the counting the recounts and all that stuff. you said that's when people kind of like had sort of started to like pick a side,
1: oh, yeah, that was the big breakaway. that was the that was it. That was it. Because you had, you know, and if you look at, you know, looking back at that time, you know, you have this close election, it's brought down to Florida, you have a Secretary of State that has relations with, uh, with the Bush family, and, you know, you had, you know, what they called what was that called? It was like the Brooks Brothers riot, basically, you know, the Republicans sent their staffs down there pretending to be constituents to, to, to stop the recount and it really muddied the waters of what we always imagined to be a flawless democracy in the sense that we always had a strong belief in how our elections were run and that they were being run correctly and once the 2000 election happened and it would have it would have been the same way whether gore took it you know instead of bush it was the fact that it went down like that and the Supreme Court ruled not to go forward with a uh, proper recount or whatever. They basically ruled in favor of uh, George Bush, uh, you know, George W. Bush. That it was at that point is when it was it, we, we broke into teams and, and we've never come back. We've never recovered from that. Even after 9-11, which you would think would be more unifying, it was unifying for a little bit. But politically. Like two weeks. Yeah. yeah, But politically, it was, you know, yeah, the second you get a black president in there, you know, that that, you know, that uh, that Tea Party formed real fast, you know, and and it's, you know, it's it really turned into what it is today to where now you have a guy and I'm not going to get into, you know, politics here, but now you have a president that we have now that is just straight up on the regular lying he just just lying like no matter what you think about if you're a, a trump guy or not or whatever the guy if if you don't admit that this guy lies a lot then you don't understand what facts are and what the truth is the guy yeah. lies a lot we have a president that lies a lot i would and just
0: argue that they all kind of lie i mean he, he are he, I, like his his lies are kind of so dumb so many of them and they're like a lot of them are really dumb. I'm
1: not saying every, you know, I'm not saying people are just honest truth tells. And what I'm saying is this guy has a problem dealing with reality and, or, or acknowledging what reality Do you know the, you know is? kind of
0: the, the backstory about Trump though? He, I always fucking forget this guy's name, but he went to this uh, church when he was younger and the guy basically oh, I, I, every time I try to tell somebody this, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's kind of like a, a sort of famous preacher whose whole thing was kind of, it was sort of like the secret, like kind of speak it into existence. So, right. that, so that's kind of like, from what I understand, obviously I don't know fucking Donald Trump or anything, but like that I've heard that that's kind of where he gets this whole like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I like, like, oh, I I'm like going to be the biggest, so, you know, I, I'm so, the, you know, it's like if I just did a set and I'm like, yeah, I'm like there were 500 people there or something, people were like, dude, that, <laughs> that club was empty, you know, like, but I'm like, but I'm speaking it, like it's always being positive or something. So right. I don't know. He, right. he,
1: he, read, he read one too many chicken soup for the soul books, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but my 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 point though, Jeff, is that is that we have come so far down the rabbit hole after two thousand that we can't even get people to just look at things objectively anymore. It's oh yeah, it's, it's, that's why I can't like, stand like, it. Is you're like... not going to get a Republican like this guy just had this second summit with with uh, the North Korean dude. And he's a poly, he's basically explaining away this American citizen that was tortured and killed and you know was sent back to America and, and died days later. And and God man, if that if or or this this security clearance, you know, uh, his former chief of staff just said that uh, Trump ordered him to give his son in law a top level security clearance. Dude, if Obama did one of these things, it would have been a fucking news story for a year and a half. There would have been impeachment proceedings. It's unpatriotic. It's this and that. But we are so down this hole of of of, of partisan politics that no one is even calling a spade a spade anymore. Yeah. And that's what's that's what's dangerous about about this, you know. And I'm hoping that this is just a fluke. I'm hoping that when Trump leaves office, hopefully if he does peacefully, uh, that that this is something that we put. Behind us, and we say, you know what, we just for some reason gave that guy different rules. Maybe it was because he was just a celebrity for so long. We just, you know, gave him a break and, and whatever. But hopefully, this is just a one off deal. But if this is the new normal, it's going to be, you know, it's this is going to be a very difficult future ahead. You well, know? I don't know. But
0: the thing I think is, uh, I think there's a ton of stuff that the Republicans let Trump get away with that, of course, if Obama did, they wouldn't let him get away with at all. But I also think the media, like, let Obama get away with a ton of shit that fucking you know Trump that does like a tenth of that that's like the a big story no matter what he does and like I think the media is fucking very biased but I also think Trump yeah that's the thing I can't stand is the team aspect of it where it's like oh I'm on this team therefore if my guy does it it's totally fine and then if your guy does it it obviously horrible like that's just such dumb lazy thinking to me to be like i'm not going to think about what's actually happening or being said or being done like i remember when obama was like oh i'm going to sit down when he was running or when he's a senator he said like oh like i would i would meet with uh the you know the iranian regime with no preconditions and everybody was like that's ridiculous and then it's like you know i don't i don't know it sounds kind of ridiculous to me too to meet with like you know basically terrorist backers like that but then trump goes and like meets with fucking north korea everyone's <laughs> just like like what and he has no preconditions like what are you getting out of this dude like i don't yeah. i don't even fully understand what he's <clears throat> doing going there but anyway calls
1: him like a nice guy this guy is he's talking about his character the guy fucking starved millions of people he oh, enslaves you know, his own people
0: i know it's horrible I, that, that it's, stuff is, is super gross that and, and then he had that family to the um the what do you call it the state of the union and then yeah and then now, now he's like oh you know Kim told me that he didn't know about it, so like, he didn't know it seems about like a good guy. Yeah, he,
1: you don't think he knows that he's got a twenty-two-year-old American student in his possession? You don't think yeah. he was behind any of that stuff, you dummy? Yeah, I mean, it's thing- just—it's just crazy, man. It's—it's a—it's a—it's just a very interesting time. You know, as a as a fan of you know, I'm quite a politico. You know what I mean? Like, I I definitely am. I I enjoy politics. I enjoy this, you know, and that's why I went to school in D.C. was to Sort of be exposed to the nuts and bolts of how Washington works, you know, how the system works. So I am a fan. I'm I'm a a fan uh, in in spectator form, you know, and it's a very interesting time to be alive to see all of this stuff. But what we're really witnessing in real time are the major institutions um, and the major pillars of our democracy being tested, you know, and we've never had a president that that sort of talk down to, a you know, a, an, an entire branch of government, you know, you know, whether it's the judicial or, or, or the legislative branch. But, you know, this is really this is it, man. Like we're seeing the, the this is like a stress test. Wait,
0: so we'll get to Stormy Daniels in a second. I gotta tease that again in case anyone's tuning out because we're talking politics now. But do you think? Yeah, we'll talk about
1: Stormy Daniels. Do you think it'll get better?
0: Do you think it'll get better or worse? Because I honestly don't really think it's gonna get better. Because I'll tell you my reasoning, and then I want to hear your opinion. But so Trump won only because uh, and I know he likes to pretend like he won because he's so popular but I mean Mitt Romney won more votes in those swing states uh, like I think Wisconsin and Michigan or something and he lost the state to Obama like the people did not like Hillary Clinton they didn't like Trump I feel like a lot of obviously we see like the people on both sides who are like so right but that's just they're showing those people i think most people held their nose and voted for clinton or or held their nose and voted for trump because they didn't want clinton like i think both those people are just like shitty people and like, the fact that they're friends for decades and people pretend like how could you have voted for the other one it's like i don't see a big di- i see a difference in like demeanor but like i don't know i think the clintons are fucking shady and scary as fuck but and trump is obviously like you know, a pretty scummy dude his whole life, and it's not a secret. Yeah, But I think, so So my point is, the Republicans, the only reason Trump won was because the Republicans ran so many people in the primaries, and he didn't ever win a plurality. He won, like, a, he won more. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he won enough, or, you know, he won a plurality, but he didn't win a majority, that's what I meant to say. Right. So, right. yeah, so he just kind of, like, found a lane, and all the other ones are kind of eating themselves. People like Marco Rubio, who I thought was, like, kind of okay at some point, like, then he just fucking got... You know, I used to talk about it on stage. We just got his, you know, uh, Trump just kind of shit on him real quick. And then you, you have to be able to like fight back. Like there were certain points in that Republican primary where if just a certain people dropped off sooner, it would have been Trump against, you know, two other people. And right. he probably would have lost, but it didn't happen. And now the Democrats. Are running a shitload of people it looks like and someone's i think someone's just gonna find a lane and it's probably gonna be somebody who i don't know what you think of them but i think it's probably pretty radical and they might just find a lane get like 38 39 skate to the nomination and then people are going like well fuck i don't want trump again so i'll vote for that person and other people will be like well fuck i don't want that radical left-wing person i'll just am i gonna vote for trump you know what i mean like, i think that's what's yeah. happening
1: my my opinion or my, or my prediction on the democratic side would be that i think that i think you know when you have a bunch of people running in the primary i think what i think what the democrats are going to do because of what they've seen what we've experienced in 2016 i really think they're going to they're going to fall in line behind someone early and it's going to be you're going to see a major drop off of candidates early because the initial polling or the you know the, 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 the opening stages of polling are gonna narrow it down to maybe like three or four people earlier earlier than what the Republicans did.
0: Yeah is that what you want to happen in a perfect world for you because you're a Democrat no. or is that what you really think is gonna happen? Because I think I, all these people running are, are egomaniacs. you want to be president? Like you're a fucking weirdo in my book. Like, yeah. I don't want to hang out with anybody who wants to be president unless no, you did.
1: For- for sure. <laughs> You're such a no, nice for, guy. <laughs> no, for sure, dude. Like no, I I really do believe that, you know, if there's one thing with this last election, it was a big wake-up call for a lot of people. And I think that uh, I think that the I think that the Democrats will will pull some rank and file a little bit more cuz they're not they're, they're not usually that party. The Republicans are usually the rank and file sort of like next in line, whatever, but I think the Democrats are going to I think the the actual voting public is going to make their decisions early on who they're going to narrow it down to pretty early. Did you know that's so interesting? Ju- this is I ju- don't think I don't think Cory Booker has a chance. You know I don't think you know I think uh, Kamala Harris might have. You know sh- she'll be able to stick around. But I think the second that Joe Biden gets in the race, it's going to really I think a lot of people are just going to get behind Joe Biden and be like, look, you know, and even though again it's an, another old timer. I think people are people are starved. They, 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 they want to not have to pay attention every day. Yeah, they yeah. want a capable person. Dude, I wake up in the morning, I grab my phone, I go to WashingtonPost.com, dot com and I'm just like, hopefully the wheels are still on this republic. Let's see what we got. You know what I mean? And I think people are starving for that time again where we know we have a, a person that is intelligent, not a not a you know, sporadic thinker. And someone that is just going to be able to handle shit, so we can get back to our lives of not paying attention.
0: I don't know if Joe Biden. I think he's going to get in, and initially he's going to have a good, uh, like you know, rating as far as whatever, like the you know, polling or whatever. But dude, the the see, I'm still a registered Democrat just because I'm too lazy to change it. But I'm not going to change it to Republican. I'm independent. I, I can't really stand the whole like what I've in my opinion, is like a gang mentality on both sides. but I,
1: I agree, 100%. I think everyone should be independent, and we should get these fucking parties in line that way.
0: Yeah, but the Democratic Party, one of the reasons I can't even stand a lot, the the louder voices, at least, I know this is not all Democrats, and I don't like when people go, oh, Republicans, this or Democrats, that, but the louder voices, the ones on social media, like the new, like quote, fresh faces, these are the more radical people. These are the people who are, you know, even I saw Stephen Colbert, which I thought was like an extremely weird way to try and make a joke. He made a joke when Bernie Sanders got in again, and I'm not a Bernie fan, but he made a joke about how like, oh, the Democrats have, you know, uh, gay people and women and uh, gay women, all this stuff, and and, and uh, African American, all this stuff. And he goes, and then uh, Bernie's like just an old white guy. And I'm not doing the joke the way he did it, but he basically said, and Bernie's just like, uh, you know, and I'm an old white guy. And I'm like, this whole like just, be, like, like the left is kind of turned into like a they only look at people based on their race and gender and if you're not first off bernie sanders is a bigger minority than a black person he's jewish you know what i mean yeah. he's not like a practicing jew religiously but like there are less jews than black people there are less jews than latinos for some reason jews just get like this and maybe i'm just sensitive to it because i'm jewish or maybe just because i like logic no, the I word agree. "minority" has a definition. Like it's like a minority. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you so, it's just weird to be like he gets labeled "old white guy" by Stephen Colbert, and he gets labeled "old white guy" by I think a lot of the more aggressive voices in that party right, right now. So right. I think Joe Biden is just going to get labeled. Howard Schultz, dude, that guy came out and was like, oh, "I might run as an independent," and I think the de- and the Democrats apparently they are worried that he's going to give Trump a path, but I don't know, man. You, it's so far out. You, like he might. He might take from Trump voters, too. You know what I mean? Like, I think right. he would. But they just called him an old white guy. Like, he's just an old white billionaire. It's like, dude, this guy grew up in the projects. He's Jewish. He grew up poor. He became a billionaire. I don't like this whole, like, hating people because they've achieved or something. He didn't have anything I, I to I agree
1: 100%, him. dude. And I got to say, dude, I, I want to double down on, on what you just said about Bernie and and, uh, and that whole Jewish aspect. It's like, yeah, dude, that that's not – you know that's a that's beyond a valid point you know that's that's uh that's not something that you're saying because you're jewish dude like that's a real thing like there weren't millions of Latinos systematically murdered in the 1940s. But all, but dude, yeah.
0: that stuff aside, my point is you shouldn't look at people. You just listen to what they're saying they're going to do. See if you believe them. You know what I mean? Because obviously yeah. politicians say stuff. But like I don't care if the president's a woman. I don't care if the president's a Latino. I don't care if the president's black. I don't care if the next 10 presidents are fucking Asian. Like who cares? By the way, no yeah. one gives a fuck about Asians. Like nobody yeah, cares about Asians at all.
1: Poor Asians, man. We got to get them back in the mix.
0: <laughs> All right. So let's talk about uh, Stormy Daniels. All right. Yes, still buddy. listening.
1: So um, it's really, what's, what's funny with Stormy is, um, so obviously when the story broke, I was in, um, I was in, uh, where was I? I was in Edmonton. I was featuring for uh, Steve Byrne in Edmonton and I got an, I got a text from someone and you know, a lot of people when the, the day the story broke, a lot of people didn't know who Stormy Daniels was, and, and and you know the press didn't really know who Stormy Daniels was, and they were just googling Stormy Daniels because this happened in 2006.
0: Oh, and then you, there you they, are. They were
1: googling Stormy <laughs> Daniels 2006. If you Google Stormy Daniels 2006, like my photo with her pops up in like one of the first couple photos. <laughs> so my buddy sends me an article from Business Insider. And it's a picture of me on stage with Stormy. It was at Paris Hilton's release uh, CD release party, and I'm emceeing it. And I brought Stormy. Stormy and I were hanging out that time, and I brought her on stage and whatever. So I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna this is gonna be a thing." Um, and so how it happened was this: um, in two, in 2006, uh, we had Beechers Madhouse, the Hard Rock, and um, Stormy was always she was very popular. You know, not just for the AVN weekends or whatever but she was kind of like a popular porn star that the clubs would invite to come and you know during that time in las vegas and in a lot of the nightclub scene they would invite you know whoever paris or stormy or whatever they would invite them and be like you know they, they would promote the night at the club with you know that person's face and say stormy daniel saturday night at light at the bellagio or whatever you know okay um so she was just you know every every so often every other month or so she would maybe be in Vegas and be at one of these uh, nightclub nights and um i had met her i had met her uh in 2006 through a friend and it just so happened that that week in the um I forget what uh, magazine. It was a popular magazine at the time in uh, Las Vegas. They had, I think no, it was Vegas. It was called Vegas Magazine. And uh, they had a little featurette story on me. Um, and, uh, you know, big picture and an article on me. And, you know, a little, a little blurb at the bottom, my favorite restaurant, this and that. And, you know, and kind of told my story. And uh, she had seen it. So sort of like the stars sort of aligned the right way. Like I I'd, I'd met her through cool people. I had billboards with my face on it in town. And then she saw this article. She told me she saw the article. And she's like, oh, that's so cool. Um, and then, you know, so I was like, I looked really cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> the only way you're going to hook up with the porn stars is like, you know, you just you got to look really cool or something, you know. So I so I just looked really cool. Uh, and yeah, we started hanging out and, you know, and, and we were kind of, you know, it was like, kind of like dating in the sense that, you know, I, I did not want to, just sort of like hop in a bed with Stormy and be like, you know, you know, I, I actually really liked her. And that's, and the thing is this, like, Stormy is super funny. She's really cool. She's like a really cool chick. I, I genuinely wanted to get to know her, you know, I, and that's a fact. Um, so I, you know, we were, we would hang out and, you know, I'd take her to dinner and whatever. I was like a gentleman to her, you know, whereas most other people at the time that she was hanging out with were not doing that, you know? Um, you didn't, you didn't
0: know who she was, uh, before though, right?
1: I did not. I did not. Isn't it weird? Um, Some
0: guy, that's the funny thing. I think when that happened, that how many husbands did know who she was when she's obviously not famous before the Trump thing happens and they're like, what? Stormy Daniels and the wife's like, you know who that is? Oh no, I don't, what? I have
1: no idea. Imagine being, imagine, imagine not being able to fake the photographs that have been published in,
0: yeah, like, (laughs) wait, so were you contacted by like publications that wanted to, because they saw you in those pictures?
1: No, I mean, apparently the, you know, w- those, those photos belong to wh- whoever it was, Getty or whatever it was, as long as those people were paid, that was good. They could use the photo. I mean, they don't need my clearance, you know, yeah. it's whoever, it's, it's whoever took the photo. Um, so, you know, I, I really had no say in it, but I'm in a great committed relationship of eight years and I knew I was like, oh man, this is gonna, I'm gonna catch some stuff on this, you know. But uh, but my girlfriend, Whitney, was very understanding with it. I mean, in a sense that she knew, like, you know, I just told her what was up and this is when you
0: were with Whitney.
1: No, I'm saying when all of this came out and all of these photos came out and whatever, I was just saying, like, you know, I just knew this story was not going to go away. Yeah. So I just talked to Whitney and I was like, look, you know, Stormy and I were more friends than anything. Like we were like we like like we dated. Like it was like a I really I really like you know like I said like I thought she was so funny, so cool, and like you know I I I was not like a, ah, I banged Stormy Daniels or you know. Yeah, yeah. Um. So so for me it was like like literally the the Christmas of 2006, I called my friends. And my little brother, and ask them, hey, listen, what do you think if I brought Stormy home for Christmas? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we and think dad, might want to Storm- unwrap her, Pete.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and, and Stormy, it's like, she doesn't, like, even when she dresses, not like her boobs are huge, and like she doesn't, she's going to look like a sex pot. You know what I mean? No matter yeah. what, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to, you can throw a, you know, a burqa on her and she'd look hot yeah um so you know so that i mean that's where it was i was like you know i was gonna i was gonna like literally like take her home for christmas but um it was around that time it was like a little bit before that time i remember she had she had kind of fell off the radar for a week
0: she was trying to get on the apprentice right
1: (laughs) yeah and that's when that was like she went to that golf tournament or whatever and and uh and uh yeah she was you know that's when that whole thing happened so, um, yeah, man. And she's really, like I said, she's, she's really cool. Stormy. She's really cool. Um, and, uh, you know, this just so happened, you know, she got caught up in this thing and, and, uh, and yeah, but, uh, it was, it was really trippy and surreal when it came out. And her rate, I, her
0: rate for like, you know, cause I know I see in the news, like she's doing, uh, you know, these events or whatever at strip clubs and everything. I mean, this is like to me kind of similar. To, I mean, not the same thing, obviously, but that's like if Monica Lewinsky during all that shit was like, oh, I'll fucking do club appearances. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what right. is their rate? Like, her rate has to be huge. I know right. people's yeah. rates on Jersey Shore when Jersey Shore was popular because I got snooky with her, with my agent who became her because uh, th- we had the same entertainment lawyer. And this guy's an idiot, dude. And this is my old college agent. This guy's such a moron. I go, yo, man. I go, my entertainment lawyer asked me for the favor and I said hey can I uh I said, yeah I'll ask uh oh no no fucking my agent asked me because he's a family friend and he goes yeah. hey do you know do you have a can you hook me up with your entertainment lawyer and he's like Ugh, I gotta rep Snooky from Jersey Shore she's like a family <laughs> friend he was all down about it and I was like this guy's a fucking college agent who lives in buttfuck nowhere doesn't live in New York or LA you know what I mean and yeah. I go dude that's great and he's like huh and I go you're gonna make a ton of money and he was like Oh really, dude? Th- he told me the second they put her on the website, and like she obviously directed people, like, oh, if you want to book me for a club appearance, not to strip, but like to yeah, just yeah, drink at course. a club for an hour. Yeah. Dude, it was like twenty five, fifty, seventy five grand. Yeah, dude. So what? Like the pres, like the president, paid you for sex, Like, we can get to go watch you strip. Like I'm imagining the guys that are into that. That's got to be a Ye- fucking huge moneymaker.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure you know. But the thing is, it's like she's also she's also saddled with some expenses um you know she lost the defamation suit against the president and has to pay i think a quarter million dollars in legal fees okay um so you know there's it's a it's a you know it's a double edged sword for her yeah her rates went up that's great but she's also in the hole for a bunch of other stuff you know right. um so yeah she she definitely is like, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. You know, in the beginning of all this stuff, you know, I kind of, I, I, I had reached it. There was like the, the, the the one day I'd reached out to stormy was like, she, it was like a day where like Rudy Giuliani was like, like said some nasty things about her. And it was like on TV. And I was like, dude, like, I mean, he was like, he was basically talking about her. Like she was subhuman. And, uh, and I reached out, and I was like, dude, I'm like, keep your head up, man. I'm like, well, you know, this is this is just nuts, but don't even pay attention to this shit, you know. Because um, it's, I can't imagine, you know, what sort of experience that is where you have, and she's handling it well. If you ever see her on Twitter, dude, she fires back with trolls all the time, and it's like entertaining. She can, she can, she can handle herself. Yeah. Stormy's like, Stormy's like quick on her feet, she's super funny, and she can handle herself, but... You know, I can't imagine that sort of uh that sort of uh, the the world of trolls that come down on you on the on the on the MAGA side, it's gotta be rough.
0: I mean it's such a interesting story. I think when the story that's one of the things about Trump though, like when the story broke, I, like even people who voted for Trump, I don't think we're like, no way <laughs> You know what I mean? Like everybody's yeah. like, Oh yeah, probably. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I don't even like care to like like, no like no offense to your friend story, but, like, it's not even really interesting to me because I'm like, yeah, it sounds like what, okay, again, Donald Trump would do. <laughs> like Right, you know exactly. What I mean? So Exactly. That's why I think, dude, it's just mostly people that, I mean, I, dude, when I went to, did I tell you, my buddy Ian and I, before he moved to Texas, we thought it'd be fun to go to Politicon. Oh, and, yeah, how was that? <laughs> I, I like following politics. Like I like paying attention to what's going on and I you know, like you know me, like I kind of just see both sides as being like a little too crazy and you know, too divisive. That we like, we thought it would be fun. We immediately were just like, We are so not any of these people. Like there are people on the right, like there's this old guy. It's dressed up in, like, red stuff, like, Make a Great Again hat and, like, all stuff. And it's, like, even if you vote, like, there's nothing. I, I don't think you're bad if you voted for Trump. I don't think you're bad if you vote for Clinton, like, because I think most people are just, like, oh, I don't want the other person. I really right. do think that's what a lot of people felt like. But if you're, like, so fucking down for a politician... That is so weird to me. And the people on the left just look like lunatics to me, dude, with, like, their pussy hats. And then the people on the right with all their MAGA shit, I'm like, this is, like, your choice? <laughs> like, I don't understand
1: how you live your life like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. It's, it's insane. You see that, you know, they just had the CPAC. I don't know if it's still going, but um, they have, like, Silk and what's her name, the other chick?
0: Diamond and Silk, <laughs> yeah.
1: Diamond and Silk are, like, headlining days. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, what have we...
0: It's so weird. Bro,
1: the the idiocracy, like, predictions that were made in that movie are pretty much materializing now. I think they
0: started materializing a little bit before now, and I think it's more exaggerated now. Dude, do you remember, do you ever see me do that joke? I did it for a while about like, I was, I like never watch really cable news anymore. Cause I think it's all just so, like, if you go into a conversation where it's like, it's almost like a watching a debate class where it's like, all right, Pete, you are on the left, Jeff, you are going to be on the right. right today and you don't get to ever concede a point. Like it's just, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. But there was a guy did a joke for a while where I was watching and I forgot what he said and he goes, yeah. And he goes, if you don't believe me, it's all in my book. And I'm like, what kind of weird logic is that? Like, if you don't believe me, yeah. it's all in the book. Yeah. I wrote, so trust me again. It's like, dude, yeah. you wrote your book. What? If like that was. If you
1: don't like the auditory form, there's a written form <laughs> as well by the same person.
0: It was just if
1: you want to fact check me.
0: It's just weird, dude. You turn on. I feel like pretty much every channel's anti-Trump except for Fox, and then Fox is like. Finding and it's really only the talk. There are shows on Fox where it's like the guys like brett baird just goes like, "Oh, this is like what's happening today," you know. And yeah. uh, I think Chris Wallace does a pretty good job. I Even mean, like John Stewart, who's like obviously on the left, like told him a long time ago, like he's the exception. But I mean, if it's like Hannity or fucking Laura Ingram, whatever. And the same to me, the CNN is like just as bad. I think the reason yeah. why people hate CNN so much is because they pretend they're not on a side, and it's very obvious they are. So it's like just be on your side, like. MSNBC is not as hated as CNN because MSNBC is like, yeah, we're on the left. But uh, it's just weird, dude. Like, no matter what the president does, you know it's going to be, you know, oh, it was fine on one channel, and the other channel is going to be like, it was the worst thing ever, no matter what. Even if it's not that bad, even if it's horrible, even if it's maybe good, this one, you know, like, it's just weird.
1: It's it's pretty crazy, man. And, you know, I find myself you know i because i like i said like i like watching politics and 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 paying attention to politics but i fi- i found myself where i put myself like i'll do like a moratorium for like a month on television i'll be like i can't watch this i can't watch anything i can't read anything but it's also because points i will a lot i will get it. i'll i like i get angry or like i'll get not angry but like i just get i i it's hard to describe. Like, I let it invade my soul too much. I'm like, I know too much. And I realize, and I'm not saying, I'm not promoting the idea of sticking your head in the sand, but it's a pretty good way to to do it every now and again, to just not pay attention and get out.
0: Oh, dude, was that... That uh, the fact that there's like a 24 hour news cycle and there's all these websites and everybody just wants clicks. So sometimes they'll have a headline just so you click on it and then you read the article and it's like five paragraphs in. And you're like, well, that totally debunks the headline to this article. You know what right. I mean? Right. Like, so there's all that stuff. But uh, I think it was Norm MacDonald. just talking to my friend. I think it was Norm MacDonald who had a joke about the 24 hour news cycle where he's like, yeah, hey, because it's uh, weird. You know, yeah. you know not, it used to be like the news was like a half hour every night, you know? And there was still time at the end to do a story about, like, some local dog who can, like, jump through a hoop or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah,
1: it's so true.
0: And he's like, and now it's like, like really? There's Is there just this much more news that's important now? So it's like everything needs to be, all these channels are like, boom, alert. Okay, we finished that story. Boom,
1: new graphic. Yeah, <laughs> new <dude>. breaking news. <laughs> Remember when breaking news was, like, when there was breaking news?
0: Yeah, like the, the 9-11. And now <laughs> it's
1: just, like, there's just breaking news all the time. The red banner at the bottom of cable news used to be like, that used to mean, like, oh, something's happening right now. Now it's just always on. Yeah. Breaking news. The stuff that we told you about yesterday is still stuff.
0: Yeah. Same thing. Still happening. Let's have somebody on to talk about it who's completely biased. Um,. (laughs) All right, man. Well, do you, uh, dude? I didn't mean to take up ninety minutes of your time, but I'm glad I did. I didn't know but anything about I you starting I, I hope
1: I wasn't just yapping, man. I just, you know, I, I, I miss you. And it's funny, um, Owen Benjamin, who we used to be friends with, or used to be more familiar with. Uh, he, he said to me once. He would said, you know, podcasts are really like, it's, it's like the time where you know comedians really get to catch up as friends. It's like. Doing each other's doing each other's podcast is like is like the new hanging out with your friends, you know, and uh, and you know it's been a while, and I I'm just happy to talk to you, man. I just uh, it was nice just to chat with you, dude.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, we are. You know, you said you yapped the whole time, We're at 91 minutes. I'm definitely cutting this down to about 43, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you get the best stuff out of it no, i'm just kidding no, uh nah,
1: dude, I, we packed it in there dude
0: i know no that was a lot of interesting stuff man. i didn't even know how you got started in stand-up i was always wondering that because i always kind of i met you at that show where you told me a certain someone how you know you don't want to talk about because you just met me that night and looked at you and goes uh, when I'm on stage. You know, that's a great joke. I'm taking that. And you told me oh, that. Yeah. You told me that. Like how many years later? And you're yeah, like, dude, dude, I was just friends with that guy, and I was I just met you. So I told him, don't do that. But I didn't tell you because we I didn't know we'd become friends.
1: Yep, dude. Remember, wasn't didn't I didn't I tell you that with Whitney too? Like Whitney. Because Whitney was in earshot of, of that whole thing, when Owen you know, and you texted that. her.
0: You're at my house, and you told me that, and she wasn't able to yeah, come. Yeah, dude, then, and, and, she
1: was like so pissed at the time when when because she was such a she was such a fan of you. The moment she saw you, I think at Pink Taco was the first time Whitney had ever seen you, and she just thought your set was just awesome and was like, "That's fucking comedy." Like is that the first that's... time
0: is it, when I did Pink Taco. Is that the first time I did it when I would just came up in like short shorts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's back when I had a little bit of fucking juice. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> now I got to go up in my fucking half silk blend shirts like a dad.
1: <laughs> oh, dude. Hey, so when are you going to be in Hollywood next?
0: Dude, I don't know. I just saw a certain booker who's like, hey, man. Yeah, I got to get you up here more, man. A <laughs> guy who yeah. used to run Pink Taco with. And I'm like, oh, yeah. God. Uh, but anyways, dude, um what's your, what the name of your podcast? Do you with Brett, Brett Ernst, a very funny comedian, friend of oh, ours. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: buddy? I do. Uh, we have a podcast called "You're on the List." Uh, it's with Brett Ernst. You guys can check that out. It's like a we just do a uh, we just do a, a top ten list of random things. This week we did the top ten Stephen Brody Stephen Brodyisms.
0: Dude, that was this is my thing. Like some people reach out to me just because they know I'm a comedian, and I don't pretend that I was like super close with brody but i did know brody pretty well and like we always talk and i was just fucking dude i broke down like three different times
1: because yeah man you know he's such
0: a nice guy like i don't care all the people saying like oh his comedy was so different it's like that's cool he was a really really nice guy
1: yeah it's it, uh you know it's very few people i think that that could die like this and get such a reaction out of out of people
0: and I'm you telling know, you, it's not cuz of his comedy with, with,
1: within the within the comic community because he was such a great soul, he was such a sensitive awesome person, very supportive. Yeah. You know, like if he, you know, he was just he was just unbelievable, man. He was just a, a just just really great. It's a big loss. You know, it's a big loss. And uh, yeah, he was just he was just great. Brody was awesome.
0: And that's the thing, dude. That's my point is like Brody was really funny, but and he was different, obviously, like on stage and all that. But he like, he wasn't just nice and like supportive. There are guys like the guy I just mentioned who I didn't say his name. We all know that guy is like super fucking fake. He's like one of the fakest humans you'll ever meet. Yeah. And then there's guys like Brody who would like, you know, I don't even remember the first time I met Brody, which is something I heard a lot of people say. But it's just like ever – like I just knew him and he knew me and he'd always talk and be like, hey, Jeff, like how's it going? You know, like blah, blah, blah. How's the crowd? Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and he was always just – he's like, oh, man, you're great or you had a great set. Like And it wasn't like a lot of people in L.A. Like people don't realize or just – they think that you might be able to help them. (laughs) And like I never got that vibe from him at all.
1: Yeah. It's like he's, you know, he's he's something. He would always come (laughs) – when he would, when uh, when he would see you, he would always just greet you with like your latest credit. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, be like Jeff Keith. Funny you should ask. Hello, on <laughs> television. Good guy. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's just, he's just like whatever it is, man. He was, he was just a, he was a really um, uplifting uh, soul. You know, yeah. and uh, it's just such a shame. It's just such a shame. You know, I saw him last week and. Uh, I talked to him a couple days before he uh, passed away and uh, at the comedy store and he just uh, seemed totally fine, you know, so you, you, n- you never know and, um, you know, depression's real and um, you know, you just gotta the medication that he was getting back on was intense for him and man it's just uh it's just crazy dude it's it's uh it's, it's really nuts that he's gone you know the the last week has been a very surreal week i feel like everyone's still in shock that he's like we're never gonna see brody again you know
0: Yeah, it is a weird thing it's just like yeah i know that guy i mean i found out because i mean i knew he was like battling. i think we all kind of he was like battling depression right that was a known yeah thing. oh yeah yeah so yeah i mean just i don't know man just said yeah, just to get to that point you know what i mean like i'd had I'm not trying to make light of like suicide at all, but I remember I was super down once and just to show you how to actually get to that point to do that, how fucking horrific that is. I remember years ago I lived in Burbank and my ex-girlfriend, I would always break up and I remember I was just fucking walking around my neighborhood in Burbank, nice area in Burbank and I was just feeling fucking so down. I'm all down on myself and I think I was probably crying. Let's just put it out there. I'm crying. Right? <laughs> Not the toughest guy. And uh, I remember thinking like, I just want, I just want to die right now. I just want to die. And then I just started laughing because I realized almost right away, like you're full of shit, Jeff. Like, if you really wanted to die, you wouldn't be walking around a nice area in West Burbank. You'd probably fucking go to a bad area exactly. and start some shit with a gang. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, yeah, yeah. you're just you're just being a little fucking baby right now. So it's like yeah. to really get to that point, too, that just fucking kills me, man. Like, I and yeah. it, because he was so like, like you know, such a beloved guy. You know, what I mean, as far as people like, I don't care about comedy, dude. Like, if somebody fucking, if someone is nice, like I always tell people, and they're like, you know, they say something about a. Like, someone in my wife's family said to me once, I don't know why they think, well maybe because I used to be on TV, but they're, like, he was like, yeah, man, he goes, like, it's so cool, like, you're so like, down to earth and blah, 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 and I'm just, like, dude, I go, I'm way more concerned with being a good person than being, like, the best comedian, you know what I mean, like, right, right, <laughs> it's just, exactly. there's no, because we, we do, you've met, you met a ton of celebrities, like, fucking, who cares, if you meet a celebrity and they're a piece of shit, you're not, like, oh, my God, I still wish I was that person, like, you don't want to be that person, it's a bunch of exactly. miserable celebrities, so, I don't know. All right. Well, I, we always like to end on a high here.
1: <laughs> uh yeah. I, I didn't mean to bring it down, but no, no, no. Beach, Bro, Brody Stevens, if anyone's listening to this, uh, you know, that doesn't know Brody, there's a lot of good, uh, a lot of good clips of him up online and, uh, comedy central just put his, uh, half hour out for free on YouTube and, uh, just check it out. So it, it's good for the soul. He was a very, very positive person. Always, always, uh, you know, he always pushed positivity and, uh, he tried, man. He totally tried. He didn't, he did not want to, uh, he did not want to die. You know, he yeah, was, he yeah. was always in the pursuit of trying to feel better. Um, you know, he did not want to die. It's not, it's not like he was like, Oh, he, you know, it wasn't on the top of his to-do list. He, he definitely was trying everything he possibly could to manage, uh, the fight that he was having with his own, you know, brain,
0: man, there was, um, uh, some, I tried to, st- I just got off Twitter, like stop looking at it cause everybody was tweeting obviously about it. But I did see a couple of tweets about like just people posting stories about you know they have Brody. I think, I think it was John Roy. I don't know if you saw his tweet where he said, and both these things would just sound like you could, we could you could just picture Brody doing it if you know him, you know. And John's story was about how. Years ago, they were at the Laugh Factory, and there was like some big. It was like an industry showcase, and the whole room was industry, and all the. And John said all these comics going up before were like names you would know, so they were like big names basically, and everyone was just eating shit, and they're coming upstairs and you know, over the green room, or whatever is, where the comics hang out, and they're like, oh no, that crowd just the worst, of the worst, and you know, industry crowds are like notoriously bad, and yeah. uh, he put it, he tweeted this whole thing out, and he goes, and to explain to anyone listening who's not a comic, or in the industry, hip pocketing is something like agents do or managers do when they don't really want to represent you, but they kind of want to see if maybe you blow up, you know, and then they'll be like, oh yeah, you're mine, you know, so they kind of attach themselves to you. So he said all these basically pretty famous comics are up there eating shit. Brody gets up, looks at like the most smug agent in the room and goes, I hip pocket you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can just picture Brody doing that. And then oh, uh, man. Augie Smith we did out a funny story where he said they did a gig in i think arizona and he said that uh the next morning augie was a little hungover or something or something like that maybe i added in that he's hungover but he said he was he was grumpy and they went to mcdonald's and augie said he had a little bit of an attitude with the uh the girl who served him and they got in the car and i guess brody said something like you didn't treat her right you need to go apologize so then he made Augie go in and apologize and then Brody and like the, the whole McDonald's like really loud, you know, he used to like walk into the crowd and like without the mic and like clap at everyone's attention. I guess Brody was just like, all right. He's like, Augie needs to apologize to Katie or something. And then like, yeah. Aug- Augie apologizes and he goes, okay. He's like, Katie, do you accept his apology? And she's like, I do. And he's like, "Oh no, he said something like, Katie, do you accept his apology? It seems sincere, but we never really know what's in someone's heart. <laughs> so fucking that guy was just fucking great uh, Oh, dude
1: that's that's amazing anyway
0: pete so pete you're what do you on social media and stuff i mean i don't know how
1: many oh, people yeah i'll do this. that real fast uh, yeah the podcast is you're on the list uh check it out and uh the uh all my social media the twitter is at pete Giovine. p-e-t-e-g-i-o-v-i-n-e, P-E-T-E-G-I-O-V-I-N-E that's uh on instagram and twitter and if you forget that you don't want to spell my last name just go to my website hairandteeth.com and uh you can follow me uh on all my stuff there
0: yeah and i'll put in the show notes all right buddy You're one of the best. Thank you for doing this. Buddy, I love
1: you, Jeff Keith, and uh, keep it up. Dude, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Keep it up, and uh, shout out to everyone that listens to Jeff Keith. Understand that you are lucky to have this man in your ears. This guy is the man. Jeff Keith, one of the best comedians out there, one of the nicest people, and I wish you all uh, future success And uh, for you and your family, your growing family. Keep it up, kid. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, dude. I love you, pal. Talk to you soon. I love you, too.
0: Later. Thank you for resigning to my daddy.